everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Cooking Outside the Box. My name is Leslie, and I'm an experienced home cook who isn't afraid to take chances on making up random recipes on the fly with no recipe required. Every week, I'm bringing you a guest where I'll look through their fridge and pantry and help them come up with a meal they can make from whatever they have on hand. No fancy ingredients, just basic but really tasty home cooking. This week's episode is brought to you by me. You can follow me on Instagram at Cooking Outside the Box, where I regularly share examples of the food I'm making. But I can also work with you one-on-one to help you build confidence in the kitchen, whether it's getting better at thinking creatively about how to use random ingredients, getting outside of a cooking rut, up-leveling your skills so that you don't have to rely on meal kits or food delivery, or you're looking to master a particular skill like making pastry. I can coach you through the steps to help you reach your cooking goals. My DMs are open, so send me a message if you'd like to connect. And now, on to today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with my friend and former colleague, Karen Deniga. Karen is a self-empowerment expert who helps people elevate their lives so they can thrive more and be happier. For over a decade, Karen's been hosting webinars and online one-on-one sessions, which provided her clients with the insights, techniques, and tools to help them accelerate their personal results. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. Thank you, Leslie. I'm delighted to be here. So you and I met while working in banking over probably over 10 years ago now. I can't remember what year it was when, when we started working together. I think you're about right. 2009, I, I think I was, I was at the bank for about seven years and it's been a couple of years since then. Right. Okay. So uh, yeah, so we worked in banking together for a number of years and now neither one of us is working in banking anymore. Uh, so tell me about the work you're doing now. So I've entered a new chapter of building out my personal and professional mastery uh, business where I'm trying to help people to be their their best self. I started this a good 10, 15 years ago, and it's been a sort of a side project while I worked full time. Uh, hence the webinars and one-on-ones I've been doing. Um, and uh, since leaving the bank, I've been doing some contract work to pay the bills. But in addition, the reason I left there was to create extra space to further develop a product line that is more flexible, more convenient, that allows people to be on the go in a busy life and listen to a recording or read a small booklet or um, you know, be driving somewhere and listen to an audiobook. So I've been building out the series and the, the system around that. So the next three or four years will be very exciting as I bring those forward. Okay. So it's all, it's stuff that you've been doing for a long time, but something that used to be a side hustle. Now it's your full-time gig, which is happening a lot with people these days, right? Where they have the regular full-time job and then they're like, this is just not working for me anymore. I want to do something that's a little bit more authentic to me, you know, work for myself instead of just putting money in the, in the bank's pocket. Cause we did a lot of that. <laughs> we put a lot of money in the bank's pocket over the years. So, you know, it's nice to, uh, to actually do something for yourself that's more rewarding yeah I guess the the one caveat I'd maybe put to that is is there's a yes to that but there's also an and for me which is that I've always loved the work that I've done anywhere I'm at I've always made very strategic conscious choices like when I joined the team that you and I met I knew it was the right life purpose role for me in fact the night before I started when I meditated I actually heard my little whisper say you're in the right role starting now again So I've been very blessed that way, um, that even the nine to five roles have been ones that I 
felt and enjoyed and loved. But like you said, I could feel the energy kind of closing down there to allow me to go into the next chapter. But I mean, it really goes to show, like you said, that when you're with the right people and you're on the right team, uh, it just, everything gels and it all kind of comes together. And then you, you know, that you're doing good work and important work. And it's not just about the paycheck and it's not just about, you know, working for the man or for the bank or whatever. Like we actually, we, we did some good work and I think we had a lot of fun doing it too, which was, uh, which was good. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about food. Ooh, I love food. Um, so just generally speaking, what's your relationship with food or any early memories you have about food and cooking? I love food. I enjoy food. Um, I enjoy uh, well-made food, but it doesn't have to be fancy. Um, but I also can enjoy the fancier types of foods. Um, I'm lucky in that I no longer have any allergies to foods. But as I was growing up, I had several. Uh, as a child, we had lots of babysitters and nannies, just being very, you know, open, uh, who um, were from England, and they made our dinners and food and meals out of tins. So tinned oh. peas and mm -hmm. tinned beans and I'm, I'm curling my lip as I think about the ickiness factor of, of some of their lack of skill, very yeah. nice people. Um, but I loved uh, the family meals when my, my dad worked really hard. My mom worked really hard. They're both working parents who were that generation. And so we would do family meals, um, you know, out at a restaurant. Uh, so, so family time sometimes was a little bit around the meal. The other stuff to think about um, was that I did end up with a sugar addiction. Oh, uh, that I about 10 before you met me uh, or around the time that you met me. Uh, 10 years ago, I finally kicked that sugar addiction uh, through a series of probably 10 years of different types of cleanses or fasting or replacement substitutes. So I now have absolute choice around the types of sugar or not sugar. Um, right. And uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's it. It's nice to get to a place where you don't, you're not controlled by it, you know, where you can have it on your own terms rather than saying like, it needs to be completely out of your diet that you can be, you know, Oh, I'll have sugar and it's okay yeah. to have that, um, you know, but not feel like you're out of control when it comes to, when it comes to sugar or any food for that matter. Yeah, I did yeah. the same thing with caffeine, actually. Um, yeah. So I didn't drink coffee before I moved and lived in Australia. But while I was down in Australia between 94 and 2000, someone, one of my friends introduced me to coffee. And so without me realizing it, I started to have a bit more of a caffeine addiction as coffee became, became a bit of a, a go-to. Um, not in a crazy bad way, not like 12 cups. Um, but there was a period of time when I first moved back to Canada, probably about 2003, 2004, where I realized that I, I didn't have choice of whether to have the coffee or not. So it took a little effort, maybe over the course of a year, uh, to actually be able to start to make it decaf. So again, I have that choice around caffeine as well. But I, like mm -hmm. you said, the choice is what matters. I want to have the choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, because it would be horrible to have to never have caffeine <laughs> <laughs> would be horrible for me. I don't know about you, but it would be really yeah. horrible for me not to ever have caffeine again. Um, so let me go back to what you mentioned at, earlier about um, a lot of your early food stuff was tins, tins of food yeah. uh, based on like the nannies or whatever, who were, yeah. who were making food for you. So do you have any like longstanding uh, uh, aversions to things because you have like bad childhood memories of them where you're like, if I see another 
canopies or if I see another whatever, I just, I can't, can't do it. So I would say that again, loosely 10 to 15 years ago, I again, challenged myself because I'm very conscious about what's to my highest good. What do I need to do differently? And I realized that exactly what you were talking about was starting to play out um, that for the the year or two, the, the, sorry, the decade or so before that, I wouldn't have a lot of vegetables just in general because vegetables to me were icky still. Yeah. Um, but then I found obviously the beautiful frozen um, vegetables and broccoli and things like that, or fresh, obviously. Um, but for, you know, probably up in, definitely in my teens and probably early twenties, I didn't appreciate there were other options. So my my mom was not the most creative around (laughs) food, a loving, lovely person. But what was really lucky for me uh, or how I was lucky was my, my dad remarried when I was about 15 or 16. And uh, Muriel, who is my stepmom, is a really good cook really good cook she's taking courses and uh really knows a lot in the kitchen so i i did have that exposure in my later teens but it's interesting how those younger years are more of your initial imprint yeah yeah it makes a huge difference like i know there are things that um you know a lot of people won't eat because of something something traumatic or whatever that happened in their childhood like i won't eat shrimp you know, just because I had a bad experience with shrimp when I was probably 10 years old. And I just to this day can't eat it just because of that bad memory from back then. No, and it, it all depends what you're associating it with, right? That makes yeah. a lot of sense. I don't yeah. think I had any really bad specific experiences as a child around that. I did have a period of time where all I ate was peanut butter and honey sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, day okay. in and day out. And what was it about peanut butter and honey that, uh, like why just the sweetness okay right that's yeah because so probably like yeah like the craft peanut butter that's full of sugar right as yeah. opposed to yeah. uh like natural peanut butter yeah and we had a lot um as a child uh, our breakfast cereals right were 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 not the healthy oatmeals it was the captain crunch the frosted fright flakes the whatever chocolatey d- deliciousness you could have yeah um, so those were my that was my breakfast a fair bit We used to have that. And then my mom went through like a health food phase and we weren't allowed to have any of that anymore. Mm -hmm. So when we were younger, we had all the sugary cereals and stuff because it's what we wanted. And, you know, so my mom would buy that for us. But then once she got into the health food thing, it was like, no, we can't have any of that stuff anymore. It was, it was a dark time (laughs) (laughs) for us when we couldn't have any of the fun food anymore. We had to eat healthy food. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about food and cooking now like today, um, what percentage of the time do you cook from scratch versus ordering in or getting takeout? Oh, it's interesting, Leslie, if you had asked me this question four years ago, I'd say 90% of the time it was takeout or order in Um, over the last three and a half years. And I've mentioned it maybe to you casually a a couple times. I've started to have a shift in that I am doing more of my cooking. So percentage wise now, I very rarely order in um during the circumstances we're in now i might go out and pick it up so that i have an outing during the day uh because we're on a a lockdown right now um but cooking wise i'd say a good 55 zero percent i'm making myself um but there might be some weeks where it's 75 percent i'm making myself or i'm using my leftovers from something i've made myself that's what actually is important so i'd say my takeout and pickup delivery stuff is maybe down on average 
10 to 15% of the time now. But also, as you said, like right now during pandemic times and, and when our, we're so restricted, uh, it's nice to have that little outing, like you said, right, where you can go out to pick something up. That might be the only time you get out of the house during the day. When you go to a restaurant, um, whether it's to eat in, in the olden days, or to pick something up or to order in, do you have a go-to meal that you like to order in a restaurant? Like, is there anything in particular like, oh, I hope they have this on the menu? I think it depends. I have, I don't know that I want to say cravings, but if I think about what I'm having for a meal and I realize I want something that's not that I'm making myself almost always I have an automatic thought of what I want instead. Not always, but, but often. So it could be, oh, it's pizza night. Oh, it's the beef bowl from Aroma Cafe because I really enjoy it. And I'll make a, my own garlic aioli to go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but if I'm actually going to a restaurant and sitting down, um, if I'm in an Italian restaurant, I love Italian food. So some sort of uh, cheese, spinach, ravioli with a red sauce, almost always a red sauce or a rosé. So Italian wise, mm-hmm. I love chicken. Uh, so things with chicken and uh, yes, I, I, I like variety. So that's why I wouldn't say I have a go-to all the time. If I'm at a restaurant that I'm not familiar with, I'll open the menu and I will often just glance down and the first dish that sh- shows up in my head that I see with my eyes is the one that I end up ordering. It's almost like it's leapt off the, the um, right menu. Off. Left off the menu to to and say, yeah. oh, it's jumping out at you saying, you yeah. need to order this. Yeah. yeah. My thing it. is, my thing is I like to order things in restaurants that I would never make at home. Yes. Yeah. Uh, either because it's too complicated or it's just something that I never get around to making or whatever. So one of the things I started ordering uh, a while back was... Um, a duck confit because duck was just never something I would ever cook at home. And then I taught myself how to make it. And now I, I mean, I haven't made it in a while, but I can make it, but I like to go to restaurants and that's what I'm really missing right now. Going to restaurants to learn and get ideas for new recipes and get mm-hmm. ideas for things to make where I have something that's like, Oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. Mm-hmm. How can I replicate this at home? So and I like inspired. doing mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And it might not be a hundred percent, you know, replica, but it's definitely, you know, it would be an inspiration for, for something that, uh, that I'm looking to make. Um, how adventurous are you in the kitchen when it comes to cooking? Okay. So let's, let's be honest. It depends. So if I have a ton of time on my plate, haha, no pun intended. Um, and I have a lot of energy, then I have made a couple things that were in my view, a little bit complicated in your view, you or others, they might not be, but like a doll from scratch where you actually even toasted the spices. Okay. That's, um, yeah. That's uh, pretty adventurous. Yeah. Toasting so your I, own spices. I, I've done that and I super enjoyed it and it tasted delicious. And I will say that I've done that a couple of times over the years, but did the next time I go to cook, did I want to do that level of, um, time investment? No. So often I would love simple, easy to make where I can not too time consuming. Cause if I start to cook, I'm often quite hungry by the time I'm starting to cook and I don't want to have to wait hours. Although I've, I've learned a little bit in the last year or so about that. Yeah. Um, so simple, but delicious foods. 
any big successes, like something where you were like really proud of yourself for having made something, maybe it was something elaborate or. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a couple things. I still remember making my very first risotto. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was one of the Jamie Oliver recipes and it was restaurant quality. It was so good. Now that is probably up to him and his recipe being so mistake proof, but it was delicious. And I've done that a couple of times. I made a, um, a lasagna. I've made a, a cannelloni um, from scratch. That was delicious. And that doll would be a, a big one for me as well. Yeah. So let's talk about what you've got in your fridge and pantry. So you did send me some photos. So I kind of have an idea of what you've got in there. So what are some, what are some of the things that you, uh, you showed me that you, you had on hand? I've got the staples of the, you know, the, the butter and, and the milk. Um, I did actually have some chicken breasts that I bought uh, kind of, they were on sale uh, about a week ago with a long expiry date. So I had bought those. Uh, I've got some onion. I've got some lemon. I've got lots of jars and cans of like spices and I've got pasta noodles. I've got tomato sauces. Um, I've got breadcrumbs. Um, yeah, those are just some of the things off the top of my head. Okay. And so when we spoke the other day, there were two things you mentioned. One was quinoa. Yes. You have this giant bag of quinoa. (laughs) Um, have you cooked with quinoa before? You know, I think I maybe did it once about five years ago and that Christmas, no joke. Um, someone got me a quinoa cookbook and I was very excited because I know it's really good for you. And I still haven't done one of the recipes. <laughs> but when the pandemic hit at the start and they said, get, you know, a couple of weeks of, you know, materials of food just in case. Yeah. I'm like, well, I know quinoa is a protein and I know I have a recipe book, so I'll be fine if I have to. Right. And I still haven't used the book. So I'll be honest. I'm not, I mean, I don't mind quinoa. It's like, it's fine, but it's not my favorite thing to cook with. You know, it's just, so I can't sell you this bag of quinoa. No, I don't think so. And I, I, I'm not probably not going to get you to make anything with the quinoa. The only thing I would probably say with the, actually, there's one thing I made with quinoa that was fantastic. Yeah. It was a quinoa chocolate cake. I will send you the recipe for the quinoa chocolate cake. It is actually gluten-free. So at the time I was baking it for someone who was gluten-free, I'm not gluten-free, but I know a lot of people are. So I have this recipe for chocolate quinoa cake. You you need to stop right now because when we were working together, yes. you brought to the office yes. these little I made them into muffins. muffins. Yes, yeah. And I was actually going to mention them on the podcast because <laughs> I wanted people who are listening to this to know that I still rave about those. I mentioned them to a friend of mine just a month ago, even though I haven't had them for what, seven years or something. They were so good. They were. And, uh, and it's, they kind of have, they're a bit of the same texture as a brownie. So they're like yeah. a dense, uh, they're not a light fluffy cupcake. They're a dense cupcake. Um, and you cook the quinoa ahead of time. So it's fully cooked quinoa that you use. And I can't remember all the proportions, but there was, you know, like maybe a cup of cooked quinoa, uh, a couple of eggs, some sugar or honey or some type of sweetener and, uh, and cocoa and, baking powder 
And I think that was it. Like it wasn't a lot of ingredients uh, and they turned out really well. So I'll have to post that recipe. Um, I want that. I want or, the recipe. And yeah, I'll send that to you. So yeah. So there are better things to do with quinoa than, you know, making a quinoa salad or something like that. It's like, you know, no offense to people who are like really into the quinoa salads, but uh, yeah, there's gotta be something better to do with quinoa than to just serve it like you would serve rice or whatever. If you cook it in broth, it's usually going to end up tasting a little bit better than if you just cook it in water. But um, yeah, I think I'd probably rather make quinoa muffins, <laughs> quinoa cho chocolate quinoa cake or chocolate quinoa muffins. But let's talk about what I'm going to suggest for you. So this is actually only part of a meal. It's not a whole meal because I wasn't sure what you had in the way of like sides to go with this. So uh, you'll be able to make rice if you want as a side, yep. uh, any kind of vegetables that you have, like, you know, if you've got some broccoli or you've got, you know, any type of vegetable that you might want to have with it. Um, I'm going to have you do a, uh, what's called chicken paillard. I don't know if you've ever made chicken paillard, which oh. is where you flat, like you, you take a chicken breast and you flatten it so that it's really thin, like a, like a cutlet almost. So it'll be, cause you know how a chicken breast, there's like a thick side and a thin side. Yeah. So in this case, I'm going to have you flatten the chicken out okay. so that it's even. Uh, so you're going to take, um, so what you're going to do is you're going to take a chicken breast. Uh, you could do more than one, but start with one and you put it between two pieces of plastic wrap, or you could put it in a Ziploc bag as well. That'll work. Just anything where you've got like, you know, plastic on top and plastic on bottom. And then you can use a rolling pin or you can use uh, a, a pot, like not a, not a big pot, but one that's got a nice heavy bottom on it. That's got a good handle. And you like literally are going to whack it. You're going to pound and pound and pound and pound until that piece of chicken has completely flattened out because you want it to be basically the same, like it'll be a little thinner around the edges, but you want it basically the same thickness so that it's like maybe I don't know, half a centimeter thick, a centimeter ah, okay. at the most, something like that. Um, so you're going to pound that flat. Then you're going to dredge it in flour. So dredging it is just simply dipping it in flour. And what that does is it helps to take a lot of the moisture off the chicken, which helps to make for a nice brown, uh, crispy coating on the outside. Okay, great. So, so I'm, I'm patting it dry and then yeah. dredging it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, by dredging it, it kind of dries it out a little oh, okay. bit. So yeah, you can pat it dry. And I would actually probably pat it dry before you start pounding okay. so that the plastic wrap doesn't slip all over the place. Like if you're if your chicken is slippery, and then the plastic wrap might might slip around. So pat it dry, put it between two pieces of plastic wrap or inside a Ziploc bag or any type of bag, really. Pound it with, you know, a heavy pot but not one that's too heavy for you. You'll end up with nice big muscles um, so that it's nice and flat. Then you're going to dredge it in flour and season the flour with salt and pepper before, you know, like maybe a teaspoon or so of salt and pepper. Uh, and dredging it just means just enough flour to coat it, like kind of shake it to, you know, let all the excess um, drip off or fall off. You don't want it like caked on or anything. Okay. So it's a very, very light dusting of flour that you're going to have all over. You're going to heat up a pan with some olive oil and you're going to fry up the, and sorry, you don't need a lot of olive oil, just enough to sort of coat the bottom of the pan. Um, 
so and not because you're not deep frying the chicken, you're just pan frying it. So you just need enough to so basically cover whatever pan you're using. Uh, and it probably will only take two to three minutes per side. Uh, you'll know when it's nice and sort of brown on the outside and then you flip it over and then it'll cook brown on the, the other side. Uh, you don't want your pan to be too hot. I'd probably put it on like medium high heat. Uh, just keep an eye on it because you don't want to create too much smoke and I have this problem of setting off the smoke detector <laughs> in my house uh, when I'm at, whenever I'm cooking anything at too high heat. So, um, so that's what you want to do. You want to pan fry that. So then you're going to take the chicken out. Once it's cooked, you're going to take the chicken out, just put it on some paper towel to, um, to dry. And then you're going to make a sauce and the sauce you're going to make. So here are the things you're going to need for the sauce. You're going to need uh, some onions, which I think you had an onion in there and garlic, if you have it, mm -hmm. um, some type of liquid. So you can use stock. So chicken stock, vegetable stock, um, any kind of stock that you have. You can use wine or vermouth. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast a couple of times that when I'm cooking with wine, I don't, um, it's not that I don't like to use wine in cooking, but vermouth has that wine flavor, it, but it's way less expensive um, than, than wine. And then you're not, and it's more concentrated. So you don't actually need to use as much. So like you can buy a bottle of vermouth for 10 bucks and it, okay. you can keep it in the fridge and it lasts for months and months. Unlike wine that if you, if you open up a bottle, then you kind of have to drink it within the next couple of days. I know rough. That's really rough. <laughs> you have to drink the wine within a couple of days. So just as an option, so you can use uh, white wine or vermouth or stock, some type of liquid, not a lot. Like you maybe need half a cup at the most. Your pan will have, it'll still have a little bit of the olive oil in it. Uh, it will probably have some browned bits from the from the flour and the surface of the chicken that you cooked. That's the good stuff. Like you want to have all that brown stuff in, in the bottom of your pan. Um, and so when you deglaze the pan with the liquid, whether it's the wine or the stock, you want to make sure you're scraping up all of those bits that are in the bottom. Um, you're going to throw in about a tablespoon of Dijon mustard. Uh, maybe start with two teaspoons. And then if you want it more mustardy, you can put a little bit more Dijon mustard in. And you want a couple of really good squirts of lemon juice. And if you've got, you know, a fresh lemon, use the lemon zest as well. So zesting the outside of the lemon, just the rind and not the, not the white pith, just see out like the yellow part. How much of the lemon uh, would you uh, zest? I'd probably do half and you really, you have to zest it before you cut it in half. So zest the lemon first, cause it's hard to zest a lemon that's already been cut. <laughs> so you need to zest it first and then cut it in half and then squeeze. So depending on how many chicken breasts you're doing, like if you're just doing one for yourself or if you're doing a bunch, cause you can do a bunch and then eat them later or even freeze it and then reheat it later. Like all of the stuff can be frozen and reheated. If you make, you know, more than one portion, you can always do that. Um, so uh, yeah, so you would probably use the juice of half the lemon, depending on how lemony you want it. Um, the other thing you can add in at this point, if you have it is some butter, you know, it may be a tablespoon of butter. And what that does is it just helps to kind of emulsify the whole thing and bring it all together. And it makes it nice and glossy and 
smooth and shimmery and yummy and all of that. So I would put maybe a little bit of butter in at the end. So that's basically just a pan sauce you're making. So you're using what's left over in the pan from the thing that you cooked. And you can do this with anything you cook in your pan. You deglaze it with a liquid. So I'll do this if I'm making, um, if I'm making steak like um, uh, beef tenderloin or something like that, cook the steak in the pan. And then after I take the steak out of the pan and I'm letting it rest, then you make a pan sauce, you throw in some red wine, you throw in, you know, whatever else you want in there to create, you know, using the, the leftover bits and stuff that are, are left in the pan, make the most fantastic sauce for anything. So that's essentially what I'm going to have you do is just make a pan sauce with a little bit of Dijon, a little bit of, oh, I think I mentioned onions. Yeah. Saute the onions in the, uh, in, in the remnants. If you, if for some reason you don't think there's enough oil in the pan, like, cause sometimes the chicken will absorb some of it, uh, like the flour in the chicken will absorb some of it. You could always add a little bit more olive oil if you don't think there's enough in there, but there should be enough uh, leftover oil in the pan. Yeah. Scrape up those bits and uh, then deglaze with some wine and maybe, maybe wine and stock, depending on how much sauce you want to make. Um, and then uh, add the, the Dijon mustard and add the lemon juice. And then you're going to pour that over your, your chicken paillard. I'm so that hungry sound? right now. <laughs> so hungry with how you described that. It's like I'm sal 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 salivating. Salivating. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, I have a question if it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it sounds delicious and I'm really looking forward to making this sauce. I think it sounds really cool. Curious. Why, why do we put the flour on top of the, the chicken um, before we cook it? It, it just helps to create like a little bit of a crispy coating on the outside of the chicken. Um, because the thing that prevents chicken or any meat for that matter from browning is moisture. And if there's like, you know, when you have a piece of meat or whatever, there's always like a little bit of residual moisture on the outside. So it, th this is the same for steak. It's the same for pork. It's the same for any kind of meat that you would cook, even fish. When you put that in a pan, if there's any moisture on it, it prevents it from browning. It prevents like that crispy brownness happening on the outside. So the flour just helps to absorb any residual moisture that might be lingering on whatever the meat is that you're making. The other reason for doing it is that the some of that flour will end up left over in the pan and that will help to thicken your sauce as well mm -hmm. so you're not really making a full-on roux where you're adding you know oil and and um and and uh, flour to make a roux in order to make the sauce but that little bit of residual flour from the outside of the chicken will help to thicken that sauce up as well so it does that too so Delicious. a few few different things so what i'm going to have you do so you're going to make this sometime tonight tomorrow whenever you feel like making it in the next couple of days. And what I'd like you to do is send me a photo of all the raw ingredients before you start cooking, and then send me a photo of the finished product so that I will post that when this podcast goes live so that everybody can see your culinary uh, expertise and see, uh, see how you made out with, uh, with the recipe. So does that sound doable to you? Sounds exciting. And, and I will also sometime in the next six months do yes. the uh, quinoa chocolate cake and send you a photo of that. Right. So the, that those are my takeaways. Recipe for the quinoa chocolate cake. <laughs>
But yes, I'm um, very, uh, I'm, when you start saying I was going to be making my own sauce for my chicken, that's awesome. Cause I've never done that for chicken before. I think this is a huge win for me already, because often if I did a ch- did chicken breast, I would just end up with it. I'll, I'll say dry, but I don't mean dry. It was still tasty. Yeah. But I wouldn't even throw on a sauce. Yeah. So, so yeah. Little- yeah. So the other thing you can do, um, so you can either pour the sauce over the chicken or you can return the chicken to the pan with the sauce so that, and then get it coated kind of on both sides while you're you know, cooking your vegetables or rice mm-hmm. or anything like that, that are going along with it. So um, depending on what your preference is. So you can either pour the sauce over the chicken, or you can put the chicken back into the pan with the sauce after you've made the sauce, either way will work. It freezes too. So if you've made several portions, you can always freeze uh, either the chicken just by itself or the chicken in the sauce. You can freeze that in Ziploc bags. That's what I usually freeze things in Ziploc. But you don't have to risk uh, or worry about um, accidentally undercooking this because it's so thin, it'll cook really, really quickly. Okay, cool. All right. I'm very excited. Good. Well, I'm excited too. I want to see how it turns out. So the other thing I would say, like if you're going to go out and buy stuff, if you're not going to make this tonight with everything that you've got, um, any kind of fresh herbs would be really nice with this as well. So you could either get some parsley, like that would be traditional, would be parsley, but any kind of herb that you like, parsley, rosemary, thyme, anything like that, chop it up really finely and you add it in at the very, very end. So after you've made the sauce and the sauce is, you know, cooked and thick and you're getting ready to put it on the chicken, throw in a handful of chopped fresh herbs and that just takes it up that next level. That's great. No, I um, I plan to make this tomorrow night for dinner. Okay. So uh, I will get some herbs to top it. Okay, so. great. So thank you very much, Karen, for being part of the podcast. I'm looking forward to seeing the recipe that you make. I'm delighted to uh, be part of this. And I'm really looking forward to tasting the recipe that you've suggested. So am I. Like, I almost want to invite myself over for dinner. (laughs) If it weren't COVID times, I would invite myself over for dinner. I'd have you over. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks again to my friend Karen for joining me today. Now I'm super hungry and want to make chicken paillard. Only problem is I don't have any chicken. I guess I'll have to pull a burrito out of the freezer, which is equally yummy, by the way. I'm sure I've posted about my burritos in the past. Uh, So check out my Instagram page because there are probably some photos on there. Anyway, if you want to want Karen to help you awaken your true potential, your power, purpose, and possibilities through her unique insights and support, go to unlockyourpeakpotential.com to book your session. You can also follow Karen on Twitter and Instagram at Karen Denega. That's K-A-R-E-N-D-E-N-E-G-A, all one word, to be the first to hear as she releases new books, recordings, and resources to help you take your life to the next level. Thanks again for listening and keep on cooking.